Welcome to Chabad Inspiration. This Fabrengen is dedicated to the Rebbe. As we all know, the third day of Tammuz, in Hebrew, Gimel Tammuz, is the date of the Rebbe's Hilula. And as such, it is a most powerful day to spend some time talking about the Rebbe, honoring the Rebbe, and finding something of inspiration that we can apply in our lives that would be a gift to the Rebbe. So L'chaim, as Hasidim say, what a Hasidic Fabrengen can achieve, even the angel in heaven, Michael Michal, the Malach Michal, cannot achieve. May this Fabrengen achieve all the goodness that you're looking for, that we are all looking for, and may we merit to see a world of peace and harmony, a world with God's revelation, where we see the beauty and the happiness of life with the coming of Mashiach now. L'chaim. Winter 1951. The Rebbe sat upstairs at 770 Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, New York, at Lubavitch World Headquarters, and he formally assumed the leadership of Chabad Lubavitch after exactly one year of his father-in-law's passing, Rabbi Yisaf Yitzchak Schneerson. During those talks of that night, as we say, during that Fabrengen, the Rebbe quoted the Zohar, the primary book of Jewish mysticism, the Zohar, which teaches that there are three loves, the love of God, the love of Torah, and the love of the Jewish people. And these three loves are inseparable. In fact, if you reject one, in essence, you're rejecting all three. So if I say, I like the Torah, and I love God, but I don't like the Jewish people, then I'm rejecting God and the Torah. And on the other hand, if I say I love the Jewish people, in essence, what we are saying, we love the Jewish people, we love every Jew, we love the soul inside of every single member of Am Yisrael, which is a part of the Creator Himself, and as such, we're loving the Jew, the Father of the Jewish people, our Father in Heaven, and the Holy Torah, which He gave us at Mount Sinai over 3,300 years ago. There was once, when the Rebbe was giving out dollars on Sundays, and a little girl passed by the Rebbe, and as she came by, she said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, I love you. The Rebbe, with a very big smile, gave her a dollar. Then he took a second dollar, and he handed it to this little girl, and with a big smile, the Rebbe said to her, This is for the love. This little girl expressed something that all of us have in our hearts. A sense of love, of appreciation, for everything that the Rebbe started and continues to do until this very day. And on Gimel Tammuz, in many ways, what this little girl said sums up the power of the day. Today, as children who yearn to see their father, we say together, Rebbe, I love you. It's not just a statement, and it's certainly not poetry. 
And I don't think the Rebbe is looking for superficial statements. But as Hasidus explains, love, ahava, in the Hebrew means from the expression ava, wanting to connect. When we say, Rebbe, I love you, in addition to its simple meaning, in Hasidic terminology it means, I love you, Rebbe, and I want to connect. I want to be part of your dream. I want to be part of the revolution that you have created. I want to be part of the worldwide success where the Rebbe took the Jewish people single-handedly right after the war of World War II when the spirits of the Jewish people were crushed and the Rebbe launched a renaissance, a new campaign, breathing new life into the Jewish people, establishing over 4,000 Chabad houses around the globe. There isn't a corner today anywhere literally, where there is a Jewish community and there aren't Chabad Lubavitch services there. The Rebbe, by extension of his own emissaries, is physically, by Jewish law, everywhere in the globe. Because by Jewish law, your emissary is literally like you. So if the Rebbe has 4,000 centers around the world, by Jewish law, the Rebbe exists in all of these 4,000 centers the Rebbe is around the world, a global Rebbe. That night of 1951, the Rebbe also spoke about the founding father of the Jewish people. You see, we are the seventh generation in the dynasty of Chabad. Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Riyadi was the founder seven generations ago. So we are the seventh. And much of that night's theme was dedicated to the fact that our generation is blessed to be the seventh generation from Rabbi Shneir Zalman. And the Rebbe quoted the famous Chazal, which teaches us, Kol Ashvin Chavivin. In the Rebbe's song, as the Rebbe would say it during the Maimer, Kol Ashvin Chavivin, which means all the sevenths are beloved and cherished. If it happens to be number seven, as the Rebbe explained, then automatically it's beloved and cherished. And our generation is the seventh. But the origin of that statement, that the seventh is beloved, actually comes from the first Rebbe in history, our great leader, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses. Moshe took us out of Egypt. He was the seventh leader of the Jewish people, starting from Avraham, Abraham, the first Jew. But Avraham Avinu, the Torah teaches us, was Echad Haya Avram. He was the only one in the entire world. An entire world was against him. One Jew alone stood with an absolute conviction and an unwavering faith in the one God of Israel. And not only did Avram Avinu not lose any of his passion and excitement to go out and share his message, but to the contrary, Avram Avinu opened up, as we know the story, a tent with four doors to all, direction, all directions, and together with his wife Sarah, our matriarch Sarah, Avram and Sarah together went on a worldwide campaign. And they literally transformed the world from a world of pagan worship 
to a world of monotheism, of believing in Hashem Echad, in the oneness of the God of Israel. But Avraham Avinu didn't stop there. He was the first. But he took that message and he made sure, as the Talmud teaches us, and the Rebbe quoted it that night, not only did Avraham Avinu, not only did Abraham himself proclaim the oneness of God, saying the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, but Avraham Avinu meant Vayakri, which in Hebrew means he made others call out the same proclamation as well. Avraham Avinu was the opposite of selfish. Avraham was selfless. Avraham was not content with the fact that he discovered the truth of life. But actually Avraham Avinu went out and shared the beauty of a meaningful life, of a rich life that has focus and purpose and achieves the goal of its creator with all of humanity. And as Rashi points out, he invited the guests. Who were they? They were three Arabs. These were Arabs who worshipped the dust of their feet. And Avraham Avinu made sure that everybody was welcomed regardless of race, color, and creed. No child was left behind because our father Abraham, Avraham Avinu, and Sarah together served everybody with a welcoming smile and sharing with them the joy and meaning of happy Judaism. So when the Rebbe speaks to us about the seventh generation, the Rebbe is talking to us about Avram Avinu, and the Rebbe is talking to us about Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, who put great emphasis, as the Rebbe spoke that night, on the idea that all of the sudden before creation, when there was nobody else around, literally nothing, there was no existence, there was no time and space, arose in God's will a desire to create a world where humanity would be created, where the human being can welcome Almighty God with our free will and take a world of darkness and chaos and transform it into a royal garden for Almighty God. And this, the Rebbe says, is our mission. And that night the Rebbe accepted upon himself to be our Rebbe. What does the word Rebbe mean? In a famous letter that the Rebbe wrote by Divine Providence, precisely on the date of the 3rd of Tammuz of 1950, which was a few months after the 10th of Shvat of 1950, when his father-in-law passed away on Shabbos morning. And the Rebbe quotes from the Zohar and explains that, you know what a, a Rebbe is? In the Hebrew, Mimenu v'al yodayim kol ha'ashpois begashmiyus v'ruchmiyus. From a Rebbe, and through the Rebbe, comes down from Almighty God all the blessings that we need, both physical and spiritual. Our material existence and our spiritual existence both come to us beamed and channeled through the Moshe Rabbeinu, the Rebbe of that generation. And therefore, once the Rebbe accepted upon himself the leadership of being the Rebbe of our generation, of being the individual who cares to take care of all of humanity, literally, as we've seen in many videos, when people of different colors, quite literally, 
and different parts of the world, presidents and dignitaries that represented all different types of nations came to the Rebbe for a blessing. The Rebbe was concerned with each and every single one of humanity making this world a better place. A shepherd who tends to his flock, not forgetting and not leaving even one behind. So Gimel Tamos, for us, is a very powerful day. In the Torah portion of Nitzavim, we find a fascinating account. Moshe Rabbeinu, our first leader, our first Rebbe, is about to pass away. And he, so to speak, makes a goodbye speech, if I can use that word. And in it, he says to the Jewish people, look, God is giving you now a choice of bracha and klala, of blessing and curse, to choose between the two. He's giving you chayim and mavis, life and death. And Moshe Rabbeinu pleads with the Jewish people as we read at the Torah portion, at the end of the portion of Nitzavim, uvachayta b'chayim. I'm begging you, says Moses, says Moshe to the Jewish people, choose life. What do you mean, choose life? To who is Moshe talking? To living Jews. So what do you mean, choose life? They are alive. Evidently, there is living and there is surviving. An animal, too, wants to survive. The whole animal kingdom survives. In that limited context, it lives. But in essence, that's called survival. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to the Jews of that generation and talking to every single Jew of history that would ever live, that would ever read the Torah and hear its message. And Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, take my advice. You're going to have a choice in life. Survival, the opposite of life, or life itself living. But living from a Moshe's perspective doesn't just mean existing doesn't just mean surviving. It means, as the Torah verse states, The Torah says, Because the Jewish people are connected to God, therefore you are alive today. What's the connection here? Because you're connected to God, so you're alive? And people that are heretics are not alive? In a certain sense, you're only alive when you're connected to the Creator, to the purpose of your existence, to the reality for which you were created for. But if somebody is sent on a mission, and you hire somebody, and you pay them, and you give them, let's say, a $25,000 check, and you say, I'm going to pay you, go around the world, buy the airline tickets, and please do such and such, and come back to wherever we started from. And that person takes your money, but violates the mission. Doesn't travel the world for what you sent that person to do. They just went on a trip, they existed there, they survived, they lived nicely, they went to hotels, they went on tourism, but the goal and the mission was not achieved. Is it honest to say that the mission survived? No, it didn't. The mission failed. The mission is dead. If you want the mission to survive and to be alive, then it has to be connected to its source, making sure that we're implementing the reason why we're here. So when we connect to the Creator, when we connect to Hashem, through Torah and Mitzvahs, by doing what we're supposed to do, then we're alive. 
And Moshe Rabbeinu is imploring the Jewish people before his passing, I beg you, you're going to have this challenge in life. You're going to be faced with a dilemma. Should you choose to live? But that's going to require effort, and it's not going to be easy. So you're going to argue, what kind of life is it if it's hard? If I have to do Torah and mitzvahs, which doesn't always come easy, why is that life? Let me just enjoy. Moshe Rabbeinu says, just remember, if you're going to focus on living selfishly, then our lives don't qualify as living. Only qualify as surviving. Not much different than a cow, than an animal. But if and when we embrace the Rebbe's vision, where every minute of life is irreplaceable, and every minute of life has a purpose and a goal for which you and I in particular were chosen by the Creator for this particular reason, and we fulfill it at that given moment when we do it, now we are alive. And that's what we say as chassidim, whenever we see the Rebbe, from the day that I was a little small child growing up in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, New York, the Rebbe to me was the most alive person that I've ever seen, regardless of physical age. The Rebbe launched campaign after campaign after campaign, never wasting a minute making sure that another person is going to be helped in another country, in another city, and another little child in this part of the world, and another child in the other part of the world, because to the Rebbe, the world is nothing more than a place where many small individual people live. As the Rebbe said, leadership is when you worry about Rebbe Yisrael, the individual Jew, not just about Am Yisrael, the Jewish nation. Worrying about a nation, that's very nice. But for the most part, that's what politicians do. They worry about the world, but don't do anything or very little for the individual. Whereas a Torah leader, and indeed a politician, if they really do that, and they're committed to doing their job, then they care not only for the global picture, but the reverse, they start from the individual picture. They're here to help each and every single individual. And that is something that the Rebbe teaches us. So, on Gimel Tammuz, on the third day of Tammuz, of course, we're celebrating something that on the one hand hurts, that we don't have a chance now to see the Rebbe physically until the coming of Mashiach. But when you ask me, is the Rebbe alive? Is the Rebbe making a difference? Is the Rebbe's impact continuing or it's stopped? I say not only is it continuing, it's growing. It is the world's largest Jewish organization. There's nobody, literally nobody, that comes even close to having 4,000 centers around the world. And that represents the Rebbe's work. So the Rebbe's work, as the Talmud says, Mazari b'chaim, afu b'chaim, as long as his children continue to live on in his tradition, then so too is he alive. Yes, absolutely. If I can speak for myself, I would say that the Rebbe is alive, there's no question. I look around the world and I see how many people are being helped by the Rebbe's work. I know the Rebbe is alive. The question that I have to ask myself every morning is, am I alive today? Am I making a difference or I'm just passing time? If I'm only passing time from a Torah perspective, that's a cop-out. That's not really living. That's just surviving. The Talmud teaches us, and it quotes King Solomon who said the famous verse in the Song of Songs, in Shir Hashirin, Basi Lagani Kala. God says, I came back to my garden. My garden, God says, is the world where you and I live in now even though it looks like a jungle on the one hand, and sometimes the world can really look chaotic as we recently saw, but from God's point of view, it's not a jungle. 
It's a royal garden. It's an opportunity to grow the most beautiful plantings. And the gardeners are you and I. And the plantings are acts of goodness and kindness. So when you look at the world from a perspective of how much goodness was done throughout the generations, how many flowers were planted in God's divine garden, it's a very different image. You're not looking right now for the physicality, so to speak. You're asking, so how many flowers exist in this garden? Countless. To the point that the Rebbe says, the garden is full already. The goal that we had to achieve in making this world a beautiful garden for God, by virtue of the fact that 3,300 years from the times of Abraham, Avram Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu and all the Jews of history, until you and I in this generation are planting the very last flowers to perfect this garden for Almighty God. On the 28th day of Nisan, in 1991, the Rebbe spoke a very famous sicha, a famous talk, where he said, I did everything that I can to make this world perfect. And from now on, I am giving it over to each and every single one of you, as the Rebbe said to all of us that were standing in the shul at 770 Eastern Parkway, and an extension the Rebbe was giving that over to everybody that's alive today, asking humanity to step up to the plate and make the world the most beautiful garden and complete the job. But in that talk, which was given in Yiddish, the Rebbe's mother tongue, the Rebbe said, unfortunately, not only are we still stuck in exile, but even worse, we're stuck in the Hebrew, he said in the Yiddish, in the Golos Hapnimi, which means the internal exile. What does it mean, internal exile? There is an outer exile, but there is an inner exile. The outer exile is the global situation. And all of us are responsible to make the world a better place. That's true. Absolutely. Tikkun olam. To perfect the world in the image and the name of God. But we are also responsible for our own square footage. It's not enough to shovel the snow in the whole neighborhood, but the snow under my feet was not plowed. It's not enough to clean up the garbage from the whole community, but the garbage in my own square footage remains. And therefore, there is an internal exile. The internal exile is when a person is given by Almighty God gifts and talents, and the person does not live up to their expectation, wastes what they are given. And they say, it's fine, I'm quite content, it's okay. But from God's point of view, God stored in storage in your heart and in your mind so much unlimited talents. And where can we say, oh, God forbid, to the Creator, I know you've stored in my heart and in my mind so much talent and blessing, but I'm too lazy to use it. That is exile. Exile means you're trapped in a place where you don't want to be. When you're not free to express yourself. In essence, you're in jail. Jail means... You're incarcerated. You're not free to express yourself. You're not free to go where you want. The godly spark inside of us is stuck in our heart, stuck in our minds, screaming and begging and asking, crying, set me free. I want to be meaningful. I want to raise my quality of life to something more meaningful than just chasing financial success, food, comfort, clothing. That's very nice. And God should bless us all. We should all have abundance of it, absolutely, Judaism believes in that, 
but we have to realize it's only a means to an end. It's not the mission for which our soul was bothered to come down from heaven into the body of a little tiny baby when you and I were born, coming out of our mother's womb. God did not send us down here to this world to figure out how many sports cars we can own. God sent us into this world to see, can you be godlike while you will live in a physical body? That's an achievement. To be B'Tselem Elohim, to live in the image of God while we're physically existing in a human body of flesh and blood, that's an achievement. And for that, the Rebbe says, I am begging you, unleash your own talent. Unleash your power. Be free. Do not live in an exile. And indeed, as the Rebbe says, that exile is even more painful, in a sense, than the global exile. For the obvious reason, because that exile is in our hands to make a difference. I can't always change the whole world. I'm not in the position always to make, call the shots, so to speak, and, and dictate what governments around the world should do and how they should free their people. But I do know that it is in my hands, and it's in our hands, to make the decision, should I spend my next 15 minutes helping humanity? Should I go to shul today? Should I put on a pair of tefillin? Should I light a Shabbos candle before Shabbos comes in? Should I eat kosher and so on? Those are decisions that I have to make. And if I am making it, and I violate it, and I fail to make it, then in essence, I'm trapping myself which makes me look quite foolish because here I am living in jail but the keys are in my hands and I can set myself free. If somebody was to say to me, and I thought about this, can you tell me what the Rebbe stands for and so on? I would be afraid to go there because who am I as a small person in my limited vision to express the greatness of the Rebbe? Yet once in a while, people ask you that question. Media people will ask you, especially they would like to have an answer and a soundbite. And I was thinking, if I have to bring it down to just two words, I would say empowering humanity. The Rebbe wants very much to empower humanity that you and I and every single one of us has the power to transform the world how many thousands of times did the Rebbe quote Ramba Maimonides who said with one good deed, one person can change the world and tip the, tip the scales and bring about Mashiach's coming, bring redemption to the world, take the world out of its pain and suffering and misery. The Rebbe is the biggest fan of the power of you. And when we think of the Rebbe, and I look at the Rebbe's picture, and I'm looking at the Rebbe's eyes looking at me, it comes with many different emotions. But one of them are, the Rebbe is looking at me and saying, are you perfect? You know the answer. Did you do everything right in your life? We know the answer. But the Rebbe says, but today is a fresh day. It's a new beginning. You have a new start. What happened yesterday is now what's important. What's important is how you launch your pad today. And if you launch it today correctly, then as the Rebbe says, youth is not measured by age, but by spirit. You can actually go back in time. You can become young again because you are suddenly acting with great vigor and life and excitement and enthusiasm. Now you're alive. 
So in case I missed my teenage years, so to speak, the Rebbe says it's not too late. You can be a teenager again. What's the definition of a teenager? That they're full of, they're brimming with life. It is in our power to make that decision, to brim with life at any given moment of our life. And in that sense, absolutely, empowering humanity are two words that in many ways, at least for me, express at least a little bit of what the Rebbe represents. I recently heard a talk that the Rebbe gave in the early years of the Rebbe's leadership. The Rebbe was sitting upstairs in 770 Eastern Parkway in the small shul. Then it was the large shul, but it only holds maybe 200 seats. If you put out chairs, I don't think it'll hold somewhere in that range. And in walked a sailor. As soon as the Rebbe saw the sailor, the Rebbe changed the topic in order to make the sailor feel comfortable. And the Rebbe explained, what is a sailor? There was a large ship sailing in the middle of the ocean, and it's heading for a destination. It is controlled by a captain. The passengers are downstairs on the main deck. The captain is upstairs overlooking everybody else, and from his perspective, he can see everything that's going on in all directions, and of course he can see the direction where he's going for his destination. But how does the ship move? The ship moves because on the third level, downstairs in the basement, there's a very large oven. And in that oven, they would put coals. And those coals give off steam. And the steam makes the engine move and turn. And therefore, the boat makes progress and slowly but surely you arrive at your destination. So one day, says the Rebbe, a, a captain decided he would like to see what's going, down, what's going on downstairs in the in the boiler room where the sailors are putting in coals into the oven. And the captain comes down and he sees they're slacking off on the job. He says to the guys, what's going on? Why is nobody working? He said, Captain, let's be candid here. When we left from our point of origin, of departure, towards our destination, we all thought we'll be there soon already. But this is taking forever. So we figured if it's anyway taking a long time, we'll take a little bit of a break and we'll still go back to work. To which the captain responded, I only wish you had the same view as I did from upstairs where I can see where we came from and I can see the destination which is almost at hand. He said, when you're seeing the destination and you see how close the destination is, then not only would you guys not be lazy, but to the contrary, you would actually go and put in, put in more coals to create greater steam and more power and energy to move the boat even faster so the ship can arrive to its destination imminently. The Rebbe tells us that he sees literally like a captain that the plan of creation is at the cusp. We're about to fulfill the last few things that were left. In fact, the Rebbe told us in 1990, 1991, and 92, you should know that the time of your redemption has arrived. And all we are missing, as the Rebbe said to the reporter, is to do something additional in the realm of goodness and kindness. Just complete it. We're, we're almost there. Just put in a few more coals into the oven, which will give off extra steam, and we will arrive at our point. As a shepherd, like King David, David Amelach, the Rebbe always makes sure we're always well taken care of. King David, David Amelach, the Gemara tells us, the Talmud teaches us, 
would wake up exactly at midnight, when the wind would blow on the Kinar Shal David, the harp, the violin of King David, and he would get up as the wind would blow on the, on the musical instrument and create musical sounds which woke up David HaMelech and King David would start chanting and singing and expressing his love and his songs to our Father in Heaven, to the Creator of the Universe. As a result of that, we have the most beautiful book called Tehillim, the Book of Psalms. Isn't it interesting that King David got up to sing at midnight? If you look at a 24-hour cycle, midnight is kind of dark. There are other points of that cycle where it's much more light outside. It's a pleasure to play. Why would King David choose, David the Malach choose to play his kinah at midnight when it's dark outside? But precisely that is the, the reason. Because David HaMelech was teaching us something. If you believe in Hashem, you believe in a creator, you believe in a master plan, you believe you're not random, then don't sing only during the daytime hours. That's very beautiful. But that doesn't prove so much. When it's dark outside and things look doomed, it's gloomy, and you get up with faith and conviction and trust, emunas Hashem, bitachanun Hashem, trusting in God and believing in God, knowing that as our beloved Father in Heaven, our Creator, who created every human being, will not abandon us and make sure that the world and our ship arrives to its destination in peace and in harmony, then you can sing not only in the middle of the day, but on the contrary, I prefer to sing in the middle of the night to make the point, as King David himself says, the light will begin soon to shine as brightly as the sun shines during the midday hour. So King David, David HaMelech, is teaching us something. The world can look dark. The Rebbe is teaching us. It could look dark to us. But our response is to go out and light another candle. Because when we light another candle, then, and only then, does the darkness disappear and we usher in the great day of light, of happiness, of joy, of celebration, a world of Mashiach. In conclusion, I would like to say the following. The Rebbe writes a famous letter where he says, from the day that I was a young boy in the city of Nikolaev, which I had the good fortune to visit, and the Rebbe's cheder, his little childhood school, still exists in the Ukraine, some two hours from Odessa by car. And in that cheder, in that childhood school, the Rebbe writes, from that day when I started going there, the Rebbe was born in 1902. So he's talking about 1904, 05, 06, the latest. The Rebbe went to school very young. From the earliest days of my going to school, and the Rebbe adds two words, and even before that, you're talking about a very young child. I began to imagine my mind writes to the Rebbe, the beauty of the world, how it's going to look when Mashiach is going to come. A world that is perfected. A world of peace and harmony. That has been the Rebbe's dream. All along. And everything that the Rebbe is doing from the day the Rebbe arrived to the United States of America on the 28th day of Sivan in 1941 was very focused to one direction. Put in more coals into the oven so we can arrive at our destination 
sooner and sooner and faster and faster. The Rebbe often used the term that we are all kinanos al like a small person sitting on the shoulders of a giant. The Rebbe wasn't trying to insult us by saying you're only a small guy sitting on the shoulders of giants. It's a compliment. It's empowering. All of history is filled with giants. But imagine, there is a most precious diamond sitting on the top, and you want to reach it. And indeed, you are a giant, but you're missing it by two, three inches. No matter what you seem to try to do, you're off by two, three inches. You call over a young child, a very young child, a small kid, and you say, come here, bite you, come here for a second, please. If I pick you up, do me a favor, please reach out and give me that diamond. In reality, who clinched it? Who brought it to you? Who gave it to you? It's true, you enabled it. You supported it. But you didn't reach it. The Rebbe comes along and gives us the most powerful compliment of all of history. And the Rebbe even in humility speaks about himself and he says, I'm the giant, but I need you to finish the job. And I'm going to give the credit to you. The Rebbe is empowering each and every single one of us to go out and change the world by additional acts of goodness, of kindness, making this world a better place for all of humanity, regardless of race, color, and creed. And today, more than ever, certainly in our lifetime, we understand how important that is to make sure that the world is a world of peace and harmony where all of humanity can live up to their expectation, living in the image of God. So in honor of the Rebbe's holy day of the third day of Thomas. Let us say to the Rebbe with a sincere heart, Rebbe, I love you. I want to connect. In Hebrew, it's called hiskashris, connecting. I'll study something from the Rebbe's teachings. I'll do something of charity in honor of the Rebbe. I'll help somebody. I'll do a mitzvah in honor of the Rebbe. But these are the things to the Rebbe that are meaningful. So when it's the third day of Tammuz, let's not buy the gift on our terms. Let's give the gift on the Rebbe's terms. And the Rebbe shared with us many times what is it that's important to him. And then we will merit to see that beautiful great day as Maimonides describes it. That the sages of Israel looked forward to. When the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Where humanity will rise to a greater level of consciousness. Understanding that every person's life is meaningful. Studying the wisdom of our creator. And we will make sure that the world by doing this will be rid of all its sickness, of all its disease, of all its fighting, of all its jealousy, of all its wars, because the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters filled the sea. May we merit that we should be that little person that does that little good deed, and we will merit to see the diamonds in our hands with the coming of Mashiach now. Thank you very much for joining L'chaim.